It's time for another exciting, enthralling, stupefyingly monotonous, and entirely unnecessary episode of TV Chinwag. Please welcome your hosts with the meh, Ryan and Jules. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of TV Chinwag. As always, I'm your host, Ryan, and with me as well on a weekly basis is my cohort, Jules. Welcome, Jules. Brains! <laughs> Brains! Oh, you won't find any brains here, young lady. Brains! That's what I have If to you're say. wondering what the hell Jules is talking about, we will be talking about... I guess, are we allowed to say the, the Z word, if you will? Well, no, actually we can't, because neither of the shows we're talking about use the Z word. Mm. So One we... of the shows we, wa- we watched uh, does, and it uses, but it's used very pejoratively. Yes. Yes, and and not as often as other terms. And then the other show, so we can talk about biters and walkers and rotters and people with partially dead syndrome. We're going to be talking zombies today, people. (laughs) Zombies. You said it. it. I said the Z word. Zombies. Uh, The two shows we'll be talking about today are In the Flesh, which is a British-made... zombie show and a american-made zombie show you may have heard of called (laughs) the walking dead (laughs) which i think until this year was like the highest rating show on any american network and not network you know broadcaster is that what we higher than breaking bad and yes uh i think so yep and then it got overtaken by game of thrones this season Interesting, which is on HBO. That's that's an interesting switch, isn't it? Mm. Shows you how many people are paying attention. Mm-hmm. And, Before we do and that... And we should mention, though, oh, there, there yeah. are also zombies on uh, Game of Thrones. So, something well, about the undead. That is true, actually. Is there any other zombie-based shows? Um, CW did a I Am Zombie. Is that a series that's coming out? Yes, that's uh, the new Rob Thomas. Uh, he, of beloved of Veronica Mars, has got a show coming out called I, Zombie, which is based oh. on a graphic novel about a young woman who's undead, who works in a morgue so she can eat brains. And um, somehow that helps, helps her solve cases. Mm. <laughs> As they do. Yeah, well, you got to jump in there. It sounds like that's a, a popular trope right now, obviously. Well, it is. But before we get to that, have we got any news that we need to share with I our have listeners? some oh, some really exciting news. Uh, a lot of people won't be uh, aware of it quite yet, but anybody who breaking news, this, breaking news. Anybody who watches the CW, I think, will be pretty excited to so, find out what show has been renewed. Both of you people out there. <laughs> Who watched the CW? <laughs> <laughs> Any guesses as to what uh, behemoth this is that they've renewed Let's for see. the 24 episodes? Oh, is it Beauty and the Beast? No. Is it, is it, I don't know what other shows are on there, Heart of Dixie? <laughs> it's not. I'll tell you what it is. Whose line is it anyway? Oh, thank God. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you were really worried that maybe it had gone away. Nope, it's back for two thousand to twenty fifteen. So that's the um Aisha Tyler um headed comedy show. 
But good I on them. Haven't watched it in years. That's been around for a long time. It's hasn't been it? around in many, many, many formats, um, many countries, and uh, seems to be going quite well uh, for the CW. And that's you know, it's nice of them to have that sort of format show. There's not a lot of that on TV that these days. That sort of improv comedy stuff. So, um, good on them. Yeah, why not? Hey, eh? I always love improv. I think improv is actually a very complicated and and difficult art to master and they do a really good job yeah and i when, mean you, you can't watch that show without laughing no and and given that you know comedy on tv these days is dominated either by sitcoms that i'd rather stick knitting needles in my ears and watch or, or my eyes um or <laughs> comedies as we've discussed some of them which may be very good but really are all about angsty middle-aged men um it's nice to have something that's a bit silly yeah, why not? <laughs> Even though most of the people on it are angsty middle-aged men, but they're funny. I mean, they're being, and you have they're to, being you have silly. to have something to fill the what is it Sunday afternoon time slot? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, no, good on good on the CW for keeping that going. Um, so we had the Television Critics Association summer tour over the last um, last week and a half. Um, I'm always, generally the reaction is what's the TCAs? I thought there was the Teen Choice Awards <laughs> um, but this happens twice a year where um, I hate to look I'm going to be a bit controversial here Ryan okay. it's called the Television Critics Association but let's face it it's basically um people who write about television, taking everything the networks tell them about their shows and reproducing it on their websites. There's not a lot of criticism going on from these people or critical inquiry. Um, however, the TCAs are a, an opportunity for showrunners, uh, particularly to talk directly to the media about their wonderful new projects coming up or the shows that are coming back um, for the millionth time. Uh, so it's very good for the TV shows, but it is a bit um, disappointing sometimes, I think, that uh, uh, most of the people here, uh, most of the people reporting on it, um, you know, there's not a lot of juicy questions get asked. It's um, yeah. a lot of photos of attractive people and a lot of, uh, yes, reproducing of lines from press releases. Uh, so uh, you have to let's list- just say let's just say it's got more softballs than a girls baseball team. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so that's why you need to listen to uh, podcasts like ours to get the real inside story. <laughs> to get people really bitching about stuff. <laughs> um, and having said that, I've got absolutely nothing particularly critical and insightful to say about television this week. Um, I will note, though, there's one uh, show that a lot of people are anticipating its next season, which is True Detective Season 2, which we talked about uh, quite a long number of episodes ago now. Uh, so, of course, that was the huge... But we haven't reviewed it yet, have we? Yes, we did. Did we? Yeah. Oh. Was it successful? I think we liked it. <laughs> oh <my laughs> we'll have to go back and check. I don't think we have, Jules. Oh, okay. Have we? <laughs> no, 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 we haven't. Oh, okay. We should talk about that sometime then. Maybe. We kind of liked it. <laughs> we both kind of liked it, and it was, you know, it was a huge critical success. And, of course, it's in this sort of 
American horror story type uh, anthology format so that the second season will be a totally new story. The format that they've talked about for a show that we have reviewed, which is Fargo, although I haven't heard anything about Fargo season two, there's been a lot of discussion about who will lead um, True Detective season two because, of course, season one had the wonderful Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. So there's been many, many names thrown around um, and whether it's going to be two people or uh, the last I heard from the showrunner was it could be four lead characters. Um, a lot of speculation about having female leads because of course there were basically uh, very few female characters uh, in season one. The well, na- I remember some topless ones. <laughs> yeah, they were basically either strippers or dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Or just young, nubile sex machines. That as well. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, that's the best part, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Um, But yes, there could be actual characters with with meaningful dialogue who are female. Well, yeah, more wives that are just upset about things. (laughs) Upset because they're... Yes. Anyway, we won't review True Detective now, (laughs) but the two names that have been thrown around at the moment for season two are Colin Farrell... You're excited, me, I can tell. Uh, and Taylor Kitsch. Who, I don't know who that is. So Taylor Kitsch, uh, now he got his start in life as a Calvin Klein underwear model. Okay. And, okay. But his first uh, a- and big acting break was starring in Friday Night Lights, the much critically oh. acclaimed Peter Berg series. He's gone on to have um, a, a patchy uh, appearance in a number of movies, including the much maligned Battleship. He played Gambit in one of the X-Men movies. Um, and so he hasn't, his career on uh, film hasn't quite taken off. But he's very attractive and actually quite a good actor. So the... um, I'm just, where did you get this, this uh, scoop from? Oh, the internet? Okay. I don't know. I, I, when, you, when you have Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey, that's not by accident. No. Those guys weren't auditioning for those roles. You no. went out and specifically wooed them with an amazing script and got them in there. I mean, those are those are movie stars yes. doing uh, television. I, I can't see them putting anyone who's not a seasoned, grizzled, amazing actor in, in those seats. Uh, I, and, and not to say that this person whom I've never heard of isn't. <laughs> But do you, I, I, I mean, you know where I'm headed with that. It just, yeah. to me, it sounds like someone you would really need um, somebody who's really can hold their own. I, I could be wrong. I mean, maybe, maybe they're going a different direction. But I, I would suggest that they're going to go with somebody a lot more uh, uh, rangy. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, look, maybe. who knows? Who I, I really. That's. Think... I just wanted to predict it. Predicting it. Um. I don't know. I mean, sometimes sort of that, uh, what would you call it, left field casting can really come off. Like when, uh, often when uh, people you're used to seeing comedic roles take on a uh, a, a dramatic role or, uh, you know, someone that, yes, you may not have thought yeah. of being like that. Um, now, of course, you know, they've set the bar really high with season one. And I'm, uh, I'm sure Nick Pizzolatto, who's, who is the writer, wrote all the episodes and the showrunner, He's probably shitting his pants at this point, to be yeah. honest, because you yeah. know, uh, to, it's going—it's going to be highly um, 
you know, compared to the first season anyway. So um, I think both the writing and the casting. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Nick Nolte and Joaquin Phoenix. Wow. Well, wow. Well, the other, the other names that have been thrown around are um, Christian Bale. Yeah. Uh, uh, He's fantastic, but yeah. I mean, what isn't he in? Uh, Ewan McGregor. Oh, that would be amazing. So, you know, I, I think uh, we'll probably for a little while just hear a lot of names thrown around, and they're possibly all being thrown around by these actors' agents. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they are. Um, so who who knows? Uh, we'll wait and see, but it will be one, something that you'll be looking forward to. Just as I mentioned that um, Taylor Kitsch got his start as a Calvin Klein model. Uh, Charlie Hunneman, who is, of course, the star of Sons of Anarchy, which is coming into its last season starting in September, has just taken on a job as a model for Calvin Klein. There you go. Oh, that's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> Um, um, it will be. Ex- how long has Sun's Sun's been on? What, what season will this, this be? This is season six. They um, do twelve a year. Yes. Oh, okay. uh, so it's coming into its last season. We have both Marilyn Manson and Courtney Love guest starring. Uh, so apparently, there's going to be um, a lot of drugs. <laughs> A heroin den, probably, of some sort. Possibly. Or maybe some music. Maybe they'll do a musical season. With Kurt, wow. Su- Kurt Sutter, anything is possible. Um, oh, that's very cool. <laughs> it will be. Uh, are you a Suns fan? Have we, we haven't talked about Suns. I have not. I, you know, I started watching it in season one, and I I couldn't get into it. It's something I, I, I've been meaning to revisit. I just haven't had a chance to yet. It's certainly... Uh, I was discussing this with some friends the other night who, who didn't watch it and uh, had tried it. Uh, it look, it's, it is very dark. Um, th- there are no good characters. <laughs> there are just characters that are less abhorrent than others. Uh, and I think as Sutter himself has called it, it's... Um, it's like an amplified soap opera, so it, it it's um, an epic soap opera, if you like. Uh, I'm 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 hooked into it. It's a bit like watching a car crash because it is so incredibly violent, and the people are so generally abhorrent. Um, but I've enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Some wonderful wonderful performances. Um, Katie Segal, who's the main female character, who um, is is just mesmerizing to watch and it's had yeah a lot of really amazing actors in it and um it will be interesting to see where it ends up hard to see it ending up anywhere other than everyone dying in a hail of bullets but you never know (laughs) i know i know one thing it could just it it could just go to a black screen Uh, no not with with kurt sutter and i have to say he's got such a um an interesting relationship with the network in that the last few episodes of last season, they let him make episodes as long as he felt like. So we had episodes that were, so these are meant to be 50-minute episodes. We had episodes that were up to 70 minutes long. Really? Yeah. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that that was a good thing, um, but it just says something about, you know, a relationship where he's been based, you know, you hear about... Showrunner's been given creative freedom, um, and, and the network is FX. Uh, he's certainly you know, got all the freedom in the world, even to in, down to, you know, don't do any edits, put it all in, um, which says says a lot about that relationship. And it's been a great series for FX. So um, we'll wait and see the, for the final season. 
Very cool. That's awesome. Maybe I'll have to start watching it and catch up to the finale just in time. There you go. That's a little bit of homework for you, Ryan. Mm, it's a lot of homework. <laughs> All right. Should we move on to our shows for this week? Brains! <laughs> I'm going to do that until mm. it becomes really, really annoying. Oh, good. Um, Brains! Our first show is a British-made program called In the Flesh. Why are you the way you are? I blame Kieran. And that's a horrible way to feel about someone, especially your only son. Aren't you curious why we're here? Why are you the way you are? He's an animal. Worse than an animal. He might walk and talk, but rotters are evil. It's becoming just like it was before and I don't know how to change it. Why are you the way you are? For the undead, life begins again. In the flesh, on BBC Three. Now, Jules, you turned me on to this because I I had actually watched half of the first episode when it aired. Yes. And I thought, oh, it's good, but I I couldn't really be bothered with it at the time. Um, it wasn't until we were going to review it that I went back and actually watched it in serious and. I, I gotta tell you, I, I really enjoyed the show quite a bit. Yeah, look, I think uh, as we you alluded to before, you know, zombies have you know after after vampires, zombies became the next big uh, supernatural trope. I mean, of course, they've they've been around for for many many decades uh, in many formats, and particularly you know in popular culture, going back to the Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead um, movies and, you know, have never really gone away. But certainly um, The Walking Dead, which is based on a series of graphic novels that I think are now up to over issue 100 um, by Robert, uh, writer called Robert Kirkman, um, this really catapulted Walking Dead, you know, beyond any sort of niche horror market into... Um, saturating popular culture. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, a bit like with vampires, you get to the point with, oh, no, not another vampire series. And so I think, <laughs> no. uh, you know, my reaction when I heard about In the Flesh, and I love zombies. I actually go on the zombie walks, you know, that are held in my city. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the zombie. Um, and In the Flesh, I mean, it shows when something becomes really popular, you do get a chance both for... A lot of cliched and over stuff that you see again and again, but you do get the chance for people to explore the trope and, and look at different aspects of it and how can, it can be used. And In the Flesh does that really brilliantly. Um, the premise is that in 2009, or basically everyone who died in 2009 rose from the dead. So clawed their way out of their out of their graves. Don't know why, That's that's actually not explored really in the in the series um they of course being zombies went on you know murderous rampages and ate people um but over time uh the government and uh the authorities found a way of treating people with what is now politely uh, politically correctly called partially dead syndrome mm -hmm. uh so we pick up with uh kieran who's our how um uh, uh, the aptly named Kieran Walker. Walker. <laughs> um, he's being released from a facility after having been treated for partially dead syndrome. So there's a um, a daily medication uh, that 
uh, these pe- people, these undead people, have to take, and there partially are partially undead, partially dead people have to take. Um, they look like zombies, so they have to wear they wear makeup to cover their undead-looking skin. They wear contacts because their eyes are sort of white with these weird, weird little red. Um, star-shaped things in the middle um, and he's been rehabilitated um, back to his uh, village uh, set in Lancashire and the village is uh, uh, one of the places where a group uh, of people called, now what are they called, the Human Volunteer Patrol Force. Force. Force so they were like a militia that um, citizens formed during the uprising of zombies to protect themselves and uh, obviously, like in anything, you know, these hardcore um, uh, groups remain. Uh, they're not convinced with the treatment for these people. They think they're still at risk. Um, so there's a lot of prejudice. Um, we pick up when Kieran is sent back uh, to his village to live with his very, very ordinary family. Uh, of which his sister is a member of this militia group. Yeah. Um, that protects everyone and... Um, you know, it's a really cool story told from a very tiny village. And really, even in the both seasons, you don't really see how widespread it is. I mean, it could just be this village, although they tend to allude to the fact that it's much much bigger yeah. than just this village. But they're just such little Britainers that it only it's just them that it's affecting. And how they deal with it and the city council deals with it. Yeah. Um, Later on in season two, a um, an MP comes to move in to town, and she's essentially the Black Doris Umbridge. Yes, if you ever watched Harry Potter. Yes, yes. Um, so she um, is sort of coordinating these forces and creating these sort of um, rules uh, for everyone to sort of integrate back in and use political correctness to control people. Essentially, is what they end up doing. Um, the first season, very short, only three episodes. Yep. Um, well done. Um, it, it deals with just more of the family aspect, the emotional aspect, um, the human aspect. It's a not, in my opinion, not. It's it's a not so subtle allegory for transgenderism and and transsexualityism uh, that takes place, and and these biases of people who are trying to hide who they really are inside uh, for the benefit of others. Yeah, well, I mean, I think generally it's, um, I mean, and you know, zombies, vampires, whatever monsters have often been used as, um, you know, they're a more specific or a broader sense of metaphors for people who are ostracised from society. Um, the interesting thing here, of course, is the lead character is actually queer. So we find out that he's, you know, that's been an issue before he was dead um, of of his life in this village. So now he's come back um, and, again, is being, uh, you know, oppressed or, like, uh, uh, there is prejudice against him for who he is, except this time it's for being partially dead as well. <laughs> uh, mm. And that works really well. I mean, I think uh, a lot of times these shows, you know, and True Blood's a classic one that sort of, 
ostensibly set out to play with, you know, vampirism as a metaphor for something, but never really carried through. Um, whereas here, it's it, it is quite specific. And and look, I love I love the tiny focus of this show. I love, as you said, it's not only uh, just in this one little village. Um, so if you know if you're in another country, think think of a really 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 small town. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, the first season is almost particularly in this family, which consists of the the, the two parents, uh, Kieran and his his sister, and and the impact both what happened uh, during the time he was a rampaging zombie, and subsequently since. And it also, you know, more broadly is like what happens when someone's been away from their home for whatever reason for a while, and and comes back, and the people he knew have grown up they've moved on and he has to try and and fit back in and in this case with the added pressure of um, there being a lot of uh, open hostility um, and in fact open violence towards people people like him Um, and it's just yeah it's done so well it's not setting out despite all that it's not being didactic about anything it's you know it's not just about bad people and good people, of course. It is about, you know, you, you can see why people took up arms because there were zombies rampaging the countryside, which, you know, if you're going to protect yourself with a gun, it's probably an appropriate time. Right. <laughs> um, we, as we follow through Kieran, he meets uh, different PDS sufferers, partially dead um, people. Um, one becomes a fast friend as Amy and she's a real free spirit and has a lot of fun and really doesn't care that she's partially dead. Um, she's, she is who she is and that's all there is to it. And it really is nice because it plays a whole other side of, of the like the syndrome to the fact that these people are still people and still have feelings and still alive and still can live. Um, even though they're partially undead. Yes. (laughs) um, Yeah, and look, again, what I like about having her as a character, and I mean, as someone, you know, being queer myself, there is, it's nice to have that person who she is being, if you like, out and proud about her sexuality, or in this case, her mortality. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, and, you know, she's, for her, she sees it as not her problem, it's the problem of people and how they react to her. her. Of course, that doesn't change the fact that, you know, some of these people would still like to kill her. But she also finds um, unexpected, you know, allies and that because very much of how how she is. Um, and and she's just a delight to the act, uh, actor who plays her. I think is is really good, and she finds comedy in the in the in the in the role so well. She uses the term zombie a couple times in the second yes. season. So yes, which is funny. Zo- zombie is a pejorative, and and also rotter, which I quite like because again, rotter play mm. play on uh, um, English idiom of calling someone a rotter. Um, yeah. And just a, a small comment. I mean, it's really nice to see this played out in an English setting. We do think of you know, aside from Shaun of the Dead, we tend to think of zombies as a very American phenomenon, if you like. Right. And city phenomenon. Yes, yes, definitely. Right. Very being stuck in the mall or you know running around the town, uh, the city. But to see it in the countryside uh, like this is is fairly unique. Although you see a little bit of that on Walking Dead as well. But um, 
It's called Rorton, the town. Rorton, oh, okay. And which they, is kind of like rotten. Yes. Rotten. If you have a uh, Lancashire accent, it probably sounds exactly the same. <laughs> probably. Um, the other thing the show gets to do, as we're sort of alluded to by the fact that it calls it partially dead syndrome and that, you know, it is a look at our society and how we, you know, we create narratives around certain things, uh, about the politics of it. Um, yeah. Uh, and that interaction between, you know, big P politics and local politics, uh, again, the small village and, you know, who's got power in, in that sense and how the local people who, you know, the people who think they're, you know, boss uh, rooster uh, suddenly become not so much when the outside, you know, bigger politician comes in. And um, I, so in some ways it's, it's a very class social satire as well. Yeah, and um, I love how it shines a light on the the ridiculous level of political correctness, especially in Britain that I I've seen the few times that I've I've visited, um, where they take political correctness to a whole other level, um, and it it really is that um, these very government driven operations of even in the second season they they put them through these courses of you know what to say to a person if if you <laughs> shock them with the, i i apologize that my appearance has shocked you <laughs> i am a partially undead you know uh, memorize these politically correct speeches that they can tell to people that are put off uh, which i think is is actually um you know because we the term political correctness gets thrown around a lot um without you know looking at the the part of it, because I often find, you know, as soon as you hear someone poo-poo political correctness, it's usually because they're covering up the fact that they're just an asshole or a racist or whatever. Um, but yeah, they're, they're... Well, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that there is this, uh, there is this part of, uh, particularly a, a bureaucracy trying to control something through language, and uh, actually in the process of that. Um, having a negative effect on the very people that ostensibly they're trying to uh, be on the side of. So yes, all this the the un, partially undead sufferer and everything. I I have a friend who's a disability advocate, you know, who calls herself a crip and a cripple, and mm -hmm. you know hates all the sort of language that goes around with you know. She's like, you know, I'm not mobility challenged. I've only got one leg, you know. Right. <laughs> uh, so again, it's quite good social satire on that level and it's not um, it's actually quite subtle too because you 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 have to think about it it's not just putting it out there but I find I love that side of it and how the health system set up to deal with these people um, but really it comes back it's it's a it's a very character driven story as you said it's about individuals reacting to this and their relationships with um, both being undead, and I think that's, you know, Kieran is the central character, again, wonderful actor, um, who he just gives such, because um, this is a 19-year-old, well, he was when he died, and so, you know, he's all those things, he's coming to, t he was at a point of struggling with his, his just identity as a 19-year-old, with his sexuality, and now with being a zombie, um, and he just wants to have a life, you know, he's... <laughs> Uh, he doesn't want to change the world, and and some of the zombies do. There's the undead li undead liberation army, <laughs> which mm -hmm. um, is shades of Monty Python and the People's Front of Judea. Um, but yes, it was uh, certainly a delight to discover this show. 
Yeah, I agree. I I think it's been uh, it's been really really worth watching, and yeah, it's an easy watch, being that it's you know, three episodes in the first season and six in the second season. Um, I would I would say if you like zombies, uh, or if you like that allegory of uh, people who feel like they don't fit in, it's definitely something worth watching, and you're going to take something away from it. Um, there's a there's a little bit of blood and gore, but I I didn't think a lot. Did you? Well, not com- not for a zombie. Not compared show. to Walking Dead. <laughs> I that's mean, for sure. uh, the undead in this they are actually in a way they can't be killed. I'm sure if they I mean they can be. But you know that you can you can stab them and shoot them and they're pretty okay. Um, so yeah. uh, there's a bit of that, but not a lot. That's not the focus of this uh, of this show. Uh, there, in fact, I know I don't want to spoil anything, but you know there are some deaths in it that are, um, in, and I'm thinking particularly in the first season, incredibly traumatic. But that's on an emotional level rather than a shock horror gore level. Uh, so again, it's about getting invested in these people's relationships and how people, um, you know. And again, uh, I find the uh, inv- looking at how you know you can have someone in your family who uh, you suddenly reject because you th- they're different than the person you thought they were. Um, so I found, you know, personally found that sort of quite quite emotional um it's not been renewed for a third season yet which is disappointing uh so there's a bit of a campaign online um to get it renewed so please if you can uh watch it um legitimately somewhere if you can get i think it will be on one of the online streaming services um but you... I haven't been able to find it on one, to be honest with uh, you. Oh, okay. And I looked earlier. It's on BBC America. Okay. Well, it um, might be on BBC iViewer for UK people. Yeah, I don't know. For UK, yeah. Um, um, they said they had 500,000 viewers for the last episode, which is sort of uh, not, uh, not, not great numbers. No. Um, and that's about what Orphan Black was, wasn't it? Did you say that? Uh, in the, I don't know. Are they American figures or... UK I think that's British. I think it's okay. British. I don't know. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, please, uh, it's won some BAFTAs, which are sort of the UK version of the Emmys. Uh, so it's had really good, quite good critical acclaim. But uh, yeah, please um, check it out. Yeah, I, I would recommend it. As, I would definitely give it four zombies out of five. I would give it a brains and a <laughs> gay brains. <laughs> which, which Allegory for homosexuality brains. <laughs> well, look, you know, and the, the truth being, of course, that um, we queer people do like eating brains occasionally. Uh, it's something mm-hmm. we don't like and, to uh, talk about, but, you know, and, yeah, it happens. Yellow, yellow brick roads <laughs> and flying monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> so to move on to our other undead show, the behemoth that is The Walking Dead. You even know what's going on? I woke up in the hospital. That's all I know. I'm saying all I know is some kind of virus. Man, you won't believe the panic. Lori, call! You know about the dead people, right? The walkers. Wife and son, they're alive. If they got out of here, they're in Atlanta. Why there? Military protection, shelter, food. Atlanta sounds like a good deal. The walk.
Walking Dead. So, were you on board with The Walking Dead from the beginning? Are you a zombie fan, Ryan? We haven't actually discussed your alle- uh, allegiances in this area. No, I'm not a zombie fan, actually. Um, you know me, I'm uh, such a sensitive flower. I don't really like horror at the best of times. Yeah, slightly ironic, given the, your day job. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, even True Blood, when it started, I was sort of half on, half off. I'm not a vampire fan. Um, zombie, I have never really watched a zombie flick before Walking Dead, probably. I mean, I'm sure there's been a couple, but I, I was never a, a fan of the zombie stereotype. No. Uh, but I really like the show a lot, and when it came out, I was on board from season one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I read the... I, I went back and read all the um, comics or the graphic novels, and uh, I think I read 100, 100 of them. Wow! I'm impressed. I read two. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it took it took us all the way up to pretty much where they are right now is when I stopped reading them, um, and they were already well into making the show when uh, the last one that I read came out. So, so before we started, they uh, broadly follow the plot of the the graphic novels, but there are a lot of changes in terms of both character and detail uh, yeah. for the story. So, did you find that? Uh, how was it having read one and watched the other? I'm not a fan of graphic novels, so I didn't really enjoy them. I like the show much better. <laughs> <laughs> better writing. I mean, you have a whole team of writers that can flush out and break a story versus having just a, a comic writer. It even even a good one. Um, it just it's just a much much more moving and big. Um, more gravitas uh, in the show than the books could ever be. But the books do hold on to certain big key notes that happen in, in, the, uh, in the show. So they're certainly not mutually exclusive. Uh, so we should set up... I, I'm sure there are people who haven't watched The Walking Dead. Oh, come on. Really? <laughs> so? Possibly not that many people, but so it, it picks up. Uh, we have, you know, briefly opens with uh, Rick Grimes, who's a small town sheriff. Is that right? I can never remember. Yep. I never work out the difference between sheriff and cops in America. But anyway, he's got a big hat. I think that makes yeah. him a sheriff. Um and uh, he's injured in a uh, shootout. And when he wakes up in hospital, um, a la 28 days later, the zombie apocalypse has happened. Yeah, almost exactly like 28 <laughs> days later. In fact, yes. Um, yes. And so it picks up with him, obviously, working out what's happened in the world and then trying to find his family, who's uh, he's married with a, um, a small son and trying to find out what's happened to the people he cares about and ex- and and finding obviously taking us on the journey of of what's happened in this world um it, i i sh- this is my boasting moment i actually first saw footage for this at comic-con in 2010 mm, um cool. which was very exciting because uh it had um they flew the crew in so it's filmed around atlanta and um, they'd flown in the cast who had not seen any of the footage at that point. So this is July 2010, and they'd been filming for a, a couple of months, I think, and they'd not seen any of the footage. So we got to see our, 
I can't remember if it was a tra- I think it was a trailer rather than a scene from the first episode and um, that was exciting to be in the same room with the cast and uh, the people making uh, the film so it's st- uh, the show it started off with really I mean you know very big cred in terms of um, the showrunner was Frank Darabont who is known for writing things like Nightmare on Elm Street, Fly, uh, directed uh, Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, um, and uh, the other person running the show was uh, Gail Ann Hurd, who also known as uh, both a producer uh, on sh- on you know movies such as Aliens, The Abyss, Terminator Two. So you know it had uh, you know. Geek royalty running this. Um, they decided to shoot it on 35mm rather than digital. You know, a lot of work had been put in for how they wanted this show to look and um, particularly the work that went into the look of uh, the zombies as well. Um, right from the beginning, it was a stunning show to look at, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. It's beautiful. Um I when I first saw it, I actually got a sneak peek as well because I was working for the company that did the visual effects. Ooh. Um, they okay. were doing the visual okay. effects down south. That trumps, so. that trumps me being seeing it at Comic Con. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so because anything that I saw was out of context. It was just the just the visual effect shots. Um, but really cool. I mean that that shot of Rick on the horse going into the city. Uh, when all the traffic is stopped yes. trying to get out and he's just I mean that was a that was a visual effect shot and that was, you know, one of the epic yep. shots of, of the of the season. So we got to see that in dailies and, and stuff like that and you know, it we knew right away, hey, this is this show's fucking awesome. Um and that's when AMC was pretty close to, you know, not a lot of people watching AMC. I think they had Mad Men was Breaking Bad just starting in two thousand ten? Yes. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. So AMC wasn't really the juggernaut that it maybe has become at this point, but um, you know, fingers were crossed. Like this is a cool show. This is right up our alley with being you know, uber violent and and filled with cool stuff like zombies eating each other's or eating people's brains and ripping their guts out and it was really nobody was sure that it would could fly it it was too much for television yes it was so and it was taking a very niche you know an almost traditional zombie uh story and saying to the mainstream watch this um and and not certainly not shying away there's certainly the horror aspect of it was was front and center right right from the beginning and just amazingly done i mean the the detail put into both both the actual like makeup effects, which um, Greg Nicotero, who does all the uh, you know makeup sort of work on it, incredible detail, and then the the VFX as well. So you've got you know zombies with no lower half of their body dragging themselves along the ground. Um, bicycle girl, that that yeah. bicycle girl shot <laughs> yeah. was. I mean th- that was all first episode stuff, and that was epic. Yeah, and you certainly knew from the very first episode. Um, you know, pilots are difficult. They often have a lot of story and backstory to set up. And I think the work, Walking Dead rates up there as one of the best pilots because it you knew exactly from that first episode what this was about. It was about it's about the it's about people surviving in this world, uh, and it's a horrible, violent world. And and that's again the interesting take that uh, you know 
Walking Dead takes is how do you survive in the apocalypse? Often movies, particular blockbusters, focus on surviving the event. You know, are you going to survive the ice storm or the monster rising or whatever? This goes beyond that. How do you survive after that? How do you survive right. in a world with, you know, no electricity, no internet, <laughs> no, yeah. uh, no, no food source, um, uh, people, you know, um, fractured from their, you know, displaced from their homes uh, where there's things trying to kill you all the time. And that's, for me, is the interesting part. And, and we talked the other week in our reality shows about watching things like Survivor Man. Um, this this hooks into that element. I mean, what would be? Would you, you know, head out into the world to see what had happened? and, and Or would you, you know, stay locked in your house until you'd eaten all your baked beans? Uh, yeah, do, you, yeah. do you hook up with other people? Is, it, is there safety in numbers given that... Um, and that's one of the things that fascinates me, these, the relationships that form in it. It's people thrown together who normally wouldn't hang out together, if you like. And you don't know that that next person you meet, you know nothing about their background. You don't know if they're a psycho serial killer or a neurosurgeon mm -hmm. or who they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they might be the person who can save your life in the next hour. Um, exactly. And so you... and they, they tend to, or, or vice versa, yeah. <laughs> they tend to kill you. <laughs> Um, or you, or you're one of the people that decide to take the easy way out and swallow a, a bullet and, you know, feed your family poison and then put a bullet in your brain, which we see time and time again in the show. Well, yeah, and it it, it takes, you know, which is a hard thing to think about. Is at what point do you give up? Hot, like, why do we live? Why do we keep living? Uh, when all the things that have given your life meaning are taken away. And there's no sense uh, in The Walking Dead. This isn't going away. No one's coming in to save anyone. It's now, I think it's probably a couple of years at least. I can't, I've lost track of time, but yeah, two yeah. or three years since the event, there is no rescue coming. So this is the world you're living in. And it looks at that thing, you know, if you get pregnant, do you want to bring a child yeah. into this world knowing it's going to grow up in this world? And do, do you want to keep living? And that, I mean, there's some really... That's some heavy shit to ponder on a Sunday night when you're watching telly. <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. Now, what about, uh, so we have Rick Grimes as our hero. What, how do you, do you like Rick? Uh, yes, I am definitely a team Rick. Although, there are no heroes in this show either, are there? No. So t tell us a bit Everyone's about... Everyone's an anti-hero. A, a little... Uh, no spoilers, <coughs> but a bit about Rick's journey from uh, the the big-hatted sheriff who saves the day in the normal world. Yeah. It, you know, and he he decides he's going to survive. I mean, he's on the lookout for his family. He hasn't found them dead, so he has hope. And that's all Rick, Rick lives on is hope. He's got hope upon hope that he's going to find them that they're going to survive, that they're going to thrive. Not everyone is as pessimistic as, as he is or as, as uh, hopeful as, as Rick is, but he thinks that as long as he does what he thinks is, is, is right and has hope that everything will be all right. And when he hooks up with people, they tend to look up to him as the leader um, to make those decisions, and, and he does. And as a viewer we don't necessarily agree with his decisions and they're not always the right ones. Exactly. Uh, and it's an interesting for him as someone who's seen as a character or a person who's used to being pretty much in charge of, you know, in charge of his own domain and uh, being able to get shit done. Uh, a lot of that's about 
that being challenged because he's in a world where he can't fix everything and his decisions, I think his value as a leader is his willingness to make decisions. Yeah. The point being often it's you just have to make a decision and uh, it's, you know, do I cross the river to the place where the, to get away from the zombies behind me when there could be psycho uh, people with guns trying to kill me on the other side of the river? So, um, but he's, a, he's also, it's interesting how we see as, so we're up to, we've had four seasons so far, as I said, probably covering a two or three year period. Um, how living in this world after a while changes people's perspective and values so that you cannot be the same person in this world that that you would have been before right uprising. Right. there yes. is no there's a lot of luxuries of of ethics that you might hold hypothetically are taken away from you when you're faced with a you know a hyper, yeah my best friend's just been is turning into a zombie, do I kill them or not, sort of thing. Right. Um, yes. And that, or my friend's going to die. My friend's been bitten. Do I kill him right now or leave him and let him turn? Yes. Uh, and, and making decisions, too, for uh, that, yeah, that are very much very survival-based, but often having to make decisions about other people that uh, and during season... I think it's this season three when the group has actually settled down in, in what seems to be a safe environment um, and become quite protective of their of the group that has formed and, and where they're living. And they develop this thing about how to, if you like, interview people to join the group. And there's a series of questions they ask. Um, and one of which is, have you killed other people? And trying to find out because uh, the ability to actually kill people becomes not just zombies becomes will you will you kill a bad person to save the group is an important mm -hmm. thing to do uh and mm -hmm. people who would obviously or not even a bad person will you kill a dangerous a dangerous person? Per someone who's a, a person that puts the group into danger well and it could be and that could be as small as the person who's going to steal your food or something not... or the baby that's going to cry when you need to be quiet yes um <laughs> it's now interestingly the show itself for being you know and it has become uh you know for cut last couple of seasons you know the biggest biggest rating or most watched uh show around uh it's had a bit of a rocky uh time behind the scenes so that there was right from the beginning so frank Dar darabont who started running the show sacked half the writers and then he got sacked and then uh, one of the writers, Glenn Mazzara, was taken on as the showrunner and then he got sacked. And yeah. uh, Robert Kirkman, who writes the um, uh, writes the graphic novels, he usually writes one or two episodes uh, a season. He's still around. He's also an EP on the show. So it's it's uh, given the – what, and I don't, certainly don't know the full stories, but given the upheavals that have ha happened behind the scenes, that has reflected a bit in the structure and storytelling, I think. Has it? I, I haven't noticed at all. Um, I think, well, f okay, well, maybe I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> season two, so season one's very much about Rick finding his family and um, sort of finding out a bit about what's going on. And they don't know, uh, again, they don't use the Z word at all. Um, no. Different people refer to these creatures as biters or walkers. and uh, mm -hmm. But no, no one ever says zombie, which... You know, part of me wants to scream out, you know, haven't any of you heard Have of you George Romero? Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's a tiny thing I have with, with shows where they suddenly wipe out yeah. a whole part, bit of pop culture and say, right. okay, zombie movies have never existed so people wouldn't know um, to shoot them twice in the head or whatever. Um, right. Anyway, that, <laughs> that aside, the second season's the, the group sort of settles down on a farm and I, which I called the little house uh, on the Walking Dead prairie. Um, and I found that season, a, although it had some, some of the best zombie scenes in it, the, remember the zombie down the well, the big bloated yeah. zombie? That was fantastic. That was actually one of our visual effects shots that we were going to do in Vancouver here. Ooh. Where they pull him out yeah. and then he falls oh. apart. Yeah. In fact, one of the guys that works with us right now was assigned to that shot and... Uh, they ended up pulling it back because we only got halfway through it. But yeah, I remember seeing that and being like, wow, this is going to be a good season. Um, <laughs> but I found it quite, the, the fact that they sort of settled down on this farm, um, yeah, I found that a bit static. It was a bit light on for, for the the threat sort of um, drew back a bit. Um, not that there weren't some great episodes in that season, but... I'm I'm always looking back at seasons as a whole, and I did find it a little. Um, I was a bit impatient because it's like, oh well, they've settled down on this farm now. Um, story over, <laughs> you know. They can they can live yeah. live here happily. They can protect the uh, the boundary. Uh, there were no bad people coming to get them. Um, the people who lived on the farm were a bit cranky about them turning up, but they turned out to be good people. And I did find it stagnated a bit for me. Um, uh, I, and I found some of the the relationship stuff tended to be annoying rather than intriguing, particularly amongst Rick's um, family. There were still some good stories, and it did give us a chance to get to know some of the characters a bit more, But because um, they weren't always just on the run. But, yeah, I, um, I, I was a bit frustrated with that. But luckily, of course, um, everything goes to shit at the farm at the end of the season, and they have to move on, thank goodness. <laughs> wow, spoilers. <laughs> well, <laughs> look, if you've managed to avoid everything about The Walking Dead to this point, good on you. Um, I'm not, mm. not going to apologise for that as a spoiler. Um, um, I didn't mind season two. I liked the farm. I liked uh, meeting the new people. Um, I liked the new relationships that were formed. Um, I liked the impending nature of you're either going to let us stay here or we're going to take it. Nicety that happened. Um, I liked the barn stuff. I liked, yes. I liked a lot of it. Um, I liked, um, what's her name missing? Um, Sophia. Sophia missing, um, you know, that's when a lot of stuff really started going down. I, I like the season quite a bit, actually. Yeah, I, again, I like some of the the fact that we got to know some, and Carol particularly, uh, yeah. and Carol and Daryl, um, yeah. we we did get a chance to know a bit more about them as, as characters. I just, yeah, as overall as a season, um, I was a bit frustrated. and It was a little zombie light. Um, for me. But as I said, they then move on uh, at the end of that season. And, you know, the good thing about The Walking Dead is anyone can die at any time. Uh, I yeah. should say the bad thing. <laughs> so No one is safe. Nobody's safe. Nobody is safe. Um, and also because of the structure of it, they can always meet new people. So um, there's always new characters coming on board. And they're not always disposable characters. So it's not that you have your core group who are going to survive everything there are some very very shocking deaths along the way that really are um 
shocking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would say shocking. And interestingly, although season really season three is again static in a sense at a certain location, there's a lot more threat and uh, there's challenges to the group in different ways, both in in philosophical ways and and. Uh, relationship ways as well as there being another a, a threat in a different guise um, that comes to light. Um, I'm trying to think what else to say about season three. I really like season three, although uh, I know some people were split. There's a, a new character introduced who did divide opinion. Uh, yeah, I liked the character. I, that didn't bother me. I wasn't crazy about the the rest of it. I like two better than three. I think. Um, there's a lot of political stuff, and yeah, wasn't wasn't my favorite season, I don't think. And then we had this uh, most recent season gone by, season four, which was very interesting in that it was split very. When we talked, we were talking last week about shows that get split over with a very long break in the in the middle, and this did sort of. It was almost like two mini-seasons this season, I think. The, the first and the second half were quite markedly different in structure and story. Right. Uh, yes. So, so you have the first half, which is uh, quite sort of action-packed and, and similar in structure to, to the normal episodes, and then the second half almost was each episode focused on a different character or group of characters. So rather than it being everyone or cutting between stories, you would have an episode about Rick and Carl and an episode about Carol or whatever. Um, did, how did you like that or not? Um, I do like that too. Um, that's pretty fun. Although if you have a favorite, it takes a while to get back to your favorite. Yes. Um, and if you, have, I like... if you have least favorites, you have to hang out with them for a whole episode. That's right. Um, I liked um, the different groupings of different people. I, I think that's cool, you know, to see um, Daryl and Carol teamed up is, is cool, uh, whereas you may not have seen them together before. Um, no, Daryl and Beth. I, I th- Sorry, Daryl and Beth, yeah. Uh, but then Carol comes along, doesn't she? No. She and Daryl are separated for most of the, that season. Who's she, Carol with her now? Um, she was with that other guy and the two young girls. You know the two, the... two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the. I know who you're talking about. Oh, weird. Anyways, um. Oh, Tyrese. She was with Tyrese, uh, yes, right? Yes. Yeah. Um. Anyways, I like that. Uh, I like seeing them mix it up a bit and doing that sort of thing. Um. Uh, season four was great. I, I really liked it a lot. I liked it better than three. <laughs> um. <laughs> I think it gave us some time. I, I mean, season three. A lot of that was. Well, it was very Rick-centric, not that that was a bad thing, but um, a lot of this show does rely on you being invested in the characters and understanding them a bit. And part of, of course, as I was talking about before, is this contrast between who these people were in the normal world, if you like, and who mm-hmm. they are now, which is a bit, um, a bit lost reminiscent if you like and and you know one of the things i loved about lost was you get to know these the characters on the island and then through the right. flashbacks you'd be you'd see right. what they'd been like and that was uh, you know part of the intrigue of how they'd been changed who they were um and and we get more of that this season as well with characters like michonne and um 
other other characters being able to either through flashbacks or just through uh, as you said uh, like Daryl and Beth Beth uh, one of the younger characters had been a bit of a cipher other than bursting into song at uh, various <laughs> campfire mm. campfire songs and we actually got to explore a bit about her and what it's like to be a teenager in the after the apocalypse if you like and her relationship with with Daryl who played by Norman Reedus who is pretty much um a lot of people's do you like do you love Daryl do you love Daryl love Daryl love him we all love Daryl don't we? we're all yeah we're all Daryl sexual or something um Daryl's amazing <laughs> Norman Reedus is amazing manages to maintain a lovely hipster hairdo a post-apocalypse has a cross right. has a crossbow and his arc has been really interesting um, you know his character arc of, of of coming from someone who basically was, um, you know, let's say a loser before before yeah. the apocalypse, yeah. and how this environment has given a chance for him to grow and take on roles and leadership roles, and and also find his own compassion in a way that um, just almost just through circumstance in the normal world. Uh, his is almost flips around as that he was actually almost living a harder life before the apocalypse in a way in that he, it sounds like it yeah he was constrained by that environment and the people uh, including his brother that w- were around him that uh the bits of his personality that have now come to the fore just would never have you know he would never have been a leader he certainly never had a chance to be compassionate or uh you know vulnerable or any of those things whereas now he can be all those things and fucking kick ass with a crossbow as well and take care of a young girl and take care of a young girl and have this really you know fascinating relationship with her um and Carol, another character who, when we first meet, is, you know, a woman in an incredibly abusive uh, relationship with her husband and, uh, you know, has, you know, someone you can tell has just been so beaten down that she cannot see herself as anything, you know, other than being in this role as victim. And then she grows um, again and, and is able to find a strength and uh, flourish in a way, again, in a particular way that probably wouldn't have been appropriate <laughs> in another environment. But, you know, she's, again, a person who makes decisions, even when uh, in the cold, hard light of day, you're sort of thinking, oh, my God, she did what? <laughs> um, yeah. But she takes on to make these decisions, Eve, and, and she doesn't shy away from, yes, I killed that person for this reason, and I'm going to stand by that. Um, you know, you, and you talk about characters growing as the show goes on. I mean, compared to this show, nobody grows. I mean, this is where you actually see people really changing who they are Mm. as time goes on. And I don't think you really see that with a lot of shows. No, no. And certainly it really looks at this idea of how the environment you live in and whether that's your family or your social standing or whatever shape who you are. Not necessarily even things that you... Even would even think you have a conscious choice about. Often you don't. Uh, but when all that's stripped away and you're in this extreme survival environment, um, different skills become important. And I think particularly this idea that being thrown in with, with people who have to approach you and, and value you based on very different things than we normally, you know, normally you meet people and it's like, oh, do we have the same interests or sort of same backgrounds or whatever? Um, That doesn't, as you said before, this is about, you know, you're either going to help me live or you're going to help me die. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Or you're going to try and kill me, or I'm going to try and kill you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin it for you, uh, Jules. But The Walking Dead. Those are the people that survive. Oh, really? <laughs> I know. Did I just blow your mind? So yes, there is big, big M metaphor in uh, in this as well, and, and I think they particularly looked at that in the, over the last season, um, even more. But also how people are almost moving through that walking dead to a new life, and I think the end of season four was again played with that because we meet a new group of people who seem to have found a new way of living in this world. But what do, at what cost? At what cost? <laughs> Who are some of your other favourite characters, Ryan? Oh, man. Um, so, I like Carl a lot. Oh, now, Carl, so Carl is Rick's son and who starts off, obviously, um, he's quite young, four years ago. Um, and he's just, hasn't he grown, both literally, <laughs> he's now, yeah, uh, speaking yeah. of lost, he's, he's the Walt of the group. <laughs> he's, yeah. Um, but he is just, and that act, the young actor is amazing. Yeah, Chandler Riggs is his name, isn't it? Yep. Um, yeah, he's really good. And normally kids in shows just bug me, but he pulls it off really well. He doesn't pull it off bitchy or, or lame. He's, he's a badass. Carl's a badass. Um, so I think he's great. Um, the young girl that's hanging out with um, Norman Reedus' character, she's great. Uh, yeah, I, 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 man, I like them all. <laughs> that's the problem. You get too attached. You, you do. Um, I'm, I'm very fond of Michonne, um, particularly mm-hmm. her, um, her. In, she's a character who, which doesn't spoil anything unless you've read the graphic novels, so you won't know who she is. But she has a really dramatic introduction. Uh, again, the visuals, the images, and I think that's part of the. I don't want to take anything away from the, you know, production design and directors and everything, but I think the one of the things about coming from a graphic novel is that there are already some really stunning visual images that exist um that can be translated onto onto the screen so there are often you know you'll get a shot as i said when when michonne's introduced it's just a a shocking stunning image um that says so much about her character and tells you nothing in a way at the same time um and again look the interesting thing here is again it's after the apocalypse there's really a couple of times we've had sort of uh, uh, little bits of story about, oh, we should find out if there's any authorities left or what caused all this, but that's not the driving force. These people aren't looking for a cure. They're not looking, they're looking for somewhere safe uh, and often they find that, but then they have to move on because nowhere's safe for long. Um, then, as I said, it's set, uh, shot in Atlanta, so it's set in the South, which is great to see another part of the US that's often, you know, not seen on um, on TV. Uh, and that as the scene you mentioned from the uh, first season of uh, of Rick going into Atlanta was just. Um, I, I would like a little bit more urban stuff, but that's because I'm an urban girl and and trees bore me. But um, you know, there's some wonderful zombie. And there was a was it season two the scene of often that people will round a bend in the road and suddenly there's three hundred zombies in front of you and right. I love yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I love those shots. Um, it is very gory, isn't it? 
It is, yeah. You're certainly going to see guts and brains and blood and stuff going through people's heads and people chopping in half and and these sorts of things. But I, I don't. I, it doesn't really bother me anymore. Maybe I've just become <laughs> immune to it. I mean, for me, that's part of the delight, and that they're always finding. Given, you know, you need to find new and uh, interesting ways for zombies to attack and zombies to be killed and zombies to kill people. Uh, for me, that's part of the delight is how they continue to come up with uh, with new and grotesquely abhorrent ways of of that happening. Uh, and those those like moments when you're squealing into your fists because it's like oh my god he's just yes. done that to his whatever um yeah. are brilliant and they haven't stopped doing that over time and and even the people do horrible things to each other too as well uh so yeah not certainly not a show for the for the squeamish um very low on the sex i have to say very few boobies um it, it's it's there's a couple of relationships on the show, but it's generally not a place where people are having a lot of fun. <laughs> no, not really. And it's AMC, so there you go. There's why you can show people chopped in half, but you can't show them doing it. Well, yes. Again, it does point up that um, uh, that terrible irony, really, because considering the you know we're talking about zombies having their heads you know, stomped on and brains going everywhere and uh, uh, that's fine. But, you know, we don't want to show you anyone's butt um, mm -hmm. or nipple. God forbid there should be a mm -hmm. nipple in the zombie apocalypse. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, so it's coming back, of course, for its fifth season. It's filming now for its uh, fifth season. Um, they've talked about a number of, uh, in fact, I think the last I heard was they talked about stories up to season 11 and 12. <laughs> and there has been talk of a spin-off as well. So this is certainly uh, a property that uh, is looking at being invested in in the very long term. Uh, we'll... Do you think they would spin it off with a character? Uh, with an established character? Oh, look, I don't know. I mean, they could certainly do that. And there's enough. There's enough characters, but there's also it's a big enough world. And although it's not as tightly focused as we were talking about in the flesh, it's certainly you know it's following one group of people in a reasonably confined region in the U.S. So we don't know what's going on because there's no communication. No one ever knows what's going on other than through the people you meet. So uh, occasionally they'll run into people who are like, oh, we've heard that this is happening over here and we're going there to find, you know, the army or the cure or whatever. But um, so they could easily set it, you know, in a whole different, in the same universe, but telling a whole different story, like what happened in a, an urban environment or um you know who who's trying to find yeah. the cure or um it, right. whatever so i've no no idea it, it's interesting that they're thinking you know 11 or 12 seasons for the walking dead though it's um you know cuz that means we're talking 7 or 8 years from now um yeah it'd be interesting to see we must remember put in your diary uh, Ryan, uh, seven yeah. years from now, we need to go back and say, who would have thought? Who would have thought Carl would have been commander of the universe? <laughs> or whatever happened to the walking dead? <laughs> yeah, one of the two. Um, 
but yes, it's uh, it's continuing to be, and it has been uh, responsible for, you know, zombie stuffs everywhere. Zombie walks around the world are bigger than ever. There's a lot of sort of you can do like real life RPG, you know, paintball type things where you go on a course and zombies try and attack you. I mean, it really become, <laughs> uh, you know, part part of the not even popular, yeah, part of popular culture in a way where it used to be a very, you know, niche horror interest um so you know i think we can put a lot of that down to the walking dead the other thing that they they really started i think uh i mean i don't think it's the first time it's ever been done but certainly they popularized the after show chat show right so we have chris hardwick aka the nerdist hosts each week the talking dead uh where he has which was a half hour show which has now gone to an hour and he has on um uh, usually someone from the show and either cast or crew and often a celebrity fan um, and they, they go over the show. Do you watch The Talking Dead, Ryan? Yeah, usually I do. Uh, not not every single one of them, but I, I, I like it. Um, it's a little bit formulaic, um, especially in the half-hour format. It felt a, a little bit forced, but um, yeah, it's it's okay. It's good. Yeah, I mean, I... I... I like the idea because obviously I like talking about television. And this. Yes. <laughs> um, I found really fascinating having hearing some of the actors talk about the characters particularly. I think um, Andrea, who was a bit of a controversial character and the act- actor who played her was on a few uh, once and gave me an insight into the character that really sort of broaden my perspective on that character so I like the fact um, as I was hanging shit on the TCAs earlier I, I do like the fact that you get a chance on a show like The Talking Dead to get more of those behind the scenes insights I love how they show all the all the, the both VFX and the makeup special effects um, but also the the actors get a chance to talk um, the and sometimes the celebrity fans that they have on can be really informed. And um, I think, is it Yvette Brown from Community? Um, mm-hmm. She's been on a couple of times and she's an uber fan and really thoughtful and and enthusiastic about the show. And a couple of times she's almost taken over interviewing the person from the show and, and left Chris Hardwick behind because, you Love know, it. she's, you know, and he's passionate about the show, obviously, but uh, I found her particularly really thoughtful and had thought through a lot of the the character nuances and, and relationships. So um, it's cool to know that celebrities watching the same show that you watch and like it the same, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. And then, yes, definitely. Um, and, uh, and want to talk about that sort of level of, of detail and and imagining things about the characters and trying to nut out, you know, what the show's saying about that character's actions or, or, or relationships. So, yeah, look, I've enjoyed it. It's been picked up, you know, there's been a number of other shows now have a, a post-show chat show, uh, which I think they work to, to greater or lesser extent. But, I, I, look, I don't think it's a, a bad, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing for the world of television. And, and certainly with the, the Walking Dead, they then repeat... The episode again after the talking dead so right. if you're really obsessed you can you know watch the show twice and watch um the the talk show all all on the same night and i think it is recognizing something that you know in a world of being able to you know download tv and pirate tv people still like to sit around and talk about tv and hopefully that's why that you're listening to this podcast 
I certainly hope so. <laughs> is there anyone out there? You had your brain? There is, Jules, and actually, yes. I have a nice review to read for you. This is uh, an iTunes review. One of our listeners was kind enough to <gasps> visit iTunes. Give us a five-star review. The reviewer was CatCat13. She says, smart and funny discussion of TV shows of different genres. You two have great chemistry, even with an ocean in between. Oh. The podcasts keep getting better. I love it. Well, I love your comment, CatCat13. Thank you so much. Thank you. And if anyone else uh, really likes us, or even if you're just sort of mediocre about us, uh, please leave us a review on iTunes. We would like more people to listen to us because um, we love doing this. And that's the best way we can get the word out is by getting some ratings on iTunes. That has been our advertisement. But do, even just a, a two-word review um, will do. Or just... You can even leave a critical review. Anything. <laughs> uh, we just want to know that you love us or listen to us even. Um, I He didn't leave a review because he's a horrible person, but this is a shout-out to Ryan. Uh, not the Ryan I'm doing the show with, but my friend Ryan who was enraged with your review of Hannibal last week. And um, I'm sorry. I'll only be taking criticisms through iTunes. <laughs> Ryan... Please go on and um, spew all your hate um, about Canadian Ryan's <laughs> review of Hannibal on iTunes. We would really appreciate that. And it would probably be therapeutic for you because I think you're still suffering from rage. <laughs> I just spent all of Friday night listening to the 400 ways you were wrong. <laughs> oh, wow. Very interesting. Well, I don't acknowledge any of them until it's reviewed on iTunes. <laughs> So until then, I'm correct. Until then, you're correct. And until next week, you're Ryan. And until next week, I hopefully you will still be Jewel. Brains! Oh my god, eat some more brains, would you? Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. Send mail to fans at tvchinwag.com or follow on Twitter at tvchinwag. Music for this podcast provided by YouTube Music. For Ryan Jules and myself, insert name here, thanks for listening to TV Chinwag.